To build vehicles like the Civic, Accord, or CRV, Honda Purchasing spends billions on a diverse supplier community. The man who runs that business for Honda North America, Thomas Lake, joins us today on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine, where this week we're at the Management Briefing Seminars. This is a conference, automotive conference, organized by the Center for Automotive Research, which is based out of Ann Arbor. And joining us today for this show is Tom Lake, the Vice President for Purchasing for Honda North America. Tom, it's great having you here. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Also joining us today are Gary Vassalash from Automotive Design and Production Magazine and Joanne Muller from Forbes. And great having the both of you here for the show. Thank you. So let's jump into it. Tom, what's always impressed me about Honda is it's a company that marches to the beat of a different drummer. And I think that's even reflected in how Honda approaches purchasing. Uh, many car companies really push their purchasing people to grind down suppliers to get the best price, and I'm sure you do some of that too. But my understanding is you really put an emphasis on respect for the individual, that you train your buyers, the people who do your purchasing for Honda, on how to treat other suppliers with respect. I'd like you to, to touch on that a little bit. Well, thanks, John. Um, it's really an extension of Honda's core values and Honda's core philosophies. And you mentioned respect for the individual. And that basic philosophy um, carries the day in both our internal interactions uh, amongst our team members as well as our dealings with uh, external business partners. And we believe that um, by establishing those strong supplier relationships ba based on uh, mutual respect and trust, um, it, it's not only the right thing to do, but there's a business case behind it. Um, you know, uh, I think all of us have stories of suppliers moving mountains for us just based on a phone call, uh, you know, based on the fact that we've developed these long relationships uh, built on trust and and they know that if the shoe's on the other foot, that we're going to support them. So what you're saying is if there's some sort of blow up in the manufacturing process by having this good relationship with suppliers, they'll jump in to help you get through it. It could be a blow up. It could be a shift in market demand. Uh, you know, it, it, it could, could be supporting a new opportunity. Um, whatever it is, uh, we believe that a supplier is more likely to go the extra mile um, if we have the kind of relationship that's built on mutual trust. Tom, generally OEMs have 70 to 80 percent of their purchase is from suppliers. What is Honda's? Uh, it's very similar. I mean, um, I think in this day and age with uh, all the technological advancements out there, uh, no car company can be an expert in everything. So we really rely on our suppliers to bring the latest innovations uh, to us to make sure that we're keeping up with all those technologies. Mm -hmm. And can you give us a sense of, of being the guy at Honda North America? I mean, you have a Honda has a, an amazing footprint in North America, I think bigger than people might imagine. So what are some of the things that are, are key to purchase to build the cars and trucks that Honda produces here? Well, you know, purchasing has to stay out in front of a lot of advancements, both, you know, company initiatives and advancements in the industry, uh, new technological innovations. So really the key uh, to keeping up with that breadth of activity is developing a strong buying team. So um, making sure that we have uh, a strong team of empowered buyers 
that are also working very closely with the engineers and, and our manufacturing teams, um, you know, just to be able to be out there and to really uh, understand what's going on in all of those uh, parts of our industry. Mm -hmm. um, one, um, it wasn't so long ago that the supplier base was in really deep trouble after we were coming out of the recession. It was very difficult, a lot of consolidation, a lot of companies went out of business. Now we've gone through this really boom period um, where, uh, you know, people, everyone's running full out. My question is now that it appears that we're a bit at a peak uh, and, and we're going to start seeing a slowdown in auto sales, how healthy do you think the supplier base is and how prepared are they to manage the next uh, downturn? That's a great question, Joan. The, um, I think the companies that survived the Lehman shock um, have been a lot more cautious uh, to, to invest and to expand uh, as, as the volumes have gone up. And, and what, what it's really done, I think, is it forced them to be very smart about their investments. And, and you, you know, suppliers have choices, you know, where to invest and where to bring their latest innovations and, you know, where to, where to um, up, you know, put their A-team, which is another vote for having, having strong relationships. But I, I think, you know, as, as we approach uh, next year and the year after, um, what really strikes me is that, you know, we're sitting here at the, at the car uh, management briefing seminar and all the best minds in the auto industry are here and nobody knows how many cars we're going to sell next year and the year after. And, and even beyond that, you know, the devil's in the details. I mean, even, even if you say the number's going to be 16.8 or 17.5, you know, the, the, the details of what that's going to break down, you know, how many are going to be trucks, how many are going to be cars, you know, what models, what powertrains, and so on, um, which means, you know, we need to constantly communicate with our suppliers uh, as to where we see the market going. And then we have to have the kind of relationship that um, when things change, that we can quickly react and, and, and that suppliers know that, um, you know, that, that they can trust us when, when, we, when we reach out to them and ask for their support. As you mentioned, everybody's got an opinion as to where sales are going to go. What's Honda telling its supply base to be on the lookout for? Do you see the market hitting a peak, as Joanne said, and maybe heading for a downturn? Or what are you telling your suppliers to prepare for? Well, we, we need to prepare for, for every possibility. So we uh, continuously share with our suppliers where we see the market going. But then um, we uh, continually work with the supply base to look at uh, different signals and changes in the market so that they're re ready to react. And, and uh, in the case where we see an opportunity, you know, even if the volumes are down, there may be an opportunity within those volumes to catch uh, you know, a, a certain change in, in buying patterns. And, and we try to be as flexible as possible to, uh, to, to capture that opportunity. So, so Honda has a rather robust production system, which I think perhaps keeps it from having so many peaks and valleys as, as other manufacturers may have. Do you have your supply base also develop production systems in order to mesh more closely with what's going on in Marysville or Alliston or wherever else you're building things? That's a great question. Um, we, we've, our manufacturing teams have made a lot of effort uh, to try to create a, a flexible production environment. You know, we've got um, 
passenger cars, you know, sedans, coupes, as well as light trucks uh, going down the same assembly lines. And then we can change the mix you know, within that uh, assembly line's production uh, depending on where the market uh, is, is going. And we, we've tried to create the same kind of flexibility within the supply base, uh, which starts with communicating our view of where the volumes are going to be, but also relies heavily on being flexible when things change and being able to um, react very quickly to changes in those in the demand. So it's absolutely critical uh, that, that suppliers uh, build that kind of flexibility into their processes as well. Mm -hmm. Tom, what, what percentage of, uh, of content in Hondas right now is coming from uh, the U.S.? Mexico, Canada. Um, I, I start always with this philosophy that a shorter supply chain is better. Yeah. So with all things being equal, um, we prefer to buy as close to our factories as possible. Um, I, I can't quote you an exact percentage, but the large majority of our content comes from North America. And it's part of that philosophy of, you know, Purchasing, manufacturing, and selling in the same market. Do you do you agree or feel that uh, Mexico is sort of the emerging place to have suppliers, or um, I think there's there's manufacturing there's, as well. There's great opportunities uh, in Mexico, um, and uh, we had um, fairly recently opened a, another uh, assembly plant there in Celaya, um, focusing on small car production which we think is a really good match uh, to the competitiveness of Mexico. Um, and what we've tried to really do is to build a strong local supply base there in Mexico to support that production. Well, you know, you make small cars like the, the, the Fit and the HRV in Mexico, correct? correct? Yeah. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum, because I got a chance earlier this year to go visit your Honda Performance uh, division plant where you're making the NSX, where I think you make eight a day or something like that, as opposed to the, the zillions of Civics and uh, Accords that are running off the line. How do you approach that from a purchasing basis? Is it different or is it just smaller scale? Uh, it's different. Um, you know, the NSX is not only new for us, but it's actually the first supercar to be designed, developed, and manufactured in the U.S. So when we approach that uh, project from a purchasing viewpoint, um, we, we had to think about how are we going to source high quality, um, you know, high precision, high performance uh, components and systems, and to your point, John, at low volumes and with a high level of uh, variance because uh, we have a build-to-order process uh, to produce that vehicle. So, you know, traditional, highly automated uh, production lines to build parts for, say, an Accord or a CRV or a Civic, you know, in some cases it is not appropriate. So, uh, and, and really further to that, the, with the technology and the craftsmanship um, that's expected uh, by a supercar buyer, uh, we knew that we were going to have to look at some non-traditional suppliers. So in approaching this, uh, we worked as a team with purchasing, engineering, and also manufacturing in many cases. Um, sat down with our existing suppliers as well as investigated some new potential suppliers and looked at 
what kind of processes and suppliers would be appropriate for this kind of uh, these kind of volumes and with this kind of high expectation from this kind of uh, vehicle owner. I've got, I've got to believe though that if, if you're a supplier to be able to have a part on that car would be quite a coup. Um, yeah, I, I tell you, the suppliers have been excited about this project and they've really come through uh, and, and delivered under those challenging conditions that I explained. But with the technology and the very low volume, you've had to change your philosophy, I think, a bit of trying to buy as close to the plants as possible because you've got parts coming in from all over the world for that car. Well, for a product like that, you got to find the best. So wherever the best is available, uh, again, for that very demanding supercar buyer. I, you might be one of them, right, John? I <laughs> Boy, I wish I could afford one of those cars, let me tell you. <laughs> but I, I was as equally impressed by the plant as I was by the car itself and, and the whole well. manufacturing process. It was very interesting. Great, great. Appreciate that. So what are some of the metrics that you would apply to a supplier to supply an Accord or supply an NSX? Well, I mean, the, the fundamental uh, thinking is, is no different. It, it's a focus on the customer. So what does an Accord customer expect and how can we exceed those expectations? The same thing when you look at a supercar buyer, only their, their uh, viewpoint might be a little bit different. <laughs> Do you think the overall uh, supply, supplier community is, is healthy? I mean, it feels like, and, and I know you know, you explained how you work on relationships, but nonetheless, margins uh, seem to be, you know, always under pressure. Um, you know, is, is, are the, are, is the supplier base healthy in your view? Uh, I think overall the supply base is healthy, but as we talked about earlier, uh, some of the challenges of the coming years will be really interesting. Um, not only production volumes, but shifts in technologies, shift towards electrification. Um, so a company that may be uh, very strong under the current conditions um, still has to continue to adapt as those changes uh, become reality. One of the discussions here at the conference has been uh, a potential tooling shortage. You know, parts and components, no problem. You can buy those and buy them by the, the bucket load, so to speak. But when it comes to tooling, very specialized. Uh, we've seen uh, over the last couple of decades other automakers offshore a lot of their tooling. Could you talk a little bit about that and how Honda's handling what looks like a critical shortage on the horizon? Well, I think the, 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 the way that, that we approach tooling is no different than the way we approach um, you know, components or materials. Uh, we we want to partner with a, with a solid group of experts uh, in, in those areas and um, you know, to have the kind of relationship with them that, uh, that makes Honda a preferred customer for them and that, that, that hopefully um, when capacities are tight um, that they will, they will prioritize our, our um, models. So how, how, how do you become preferred? I mean, what are the things that you do working with the suppliers? Well, I can tell you what you don't do. So when you get into a tough situation like a, like a capacity shortage or some other difficulty, that's not the time to establish strong relationships. We, our, our, our approach is to try to establish strong relationships on a continuous basis so that when those tough times come, um, you know, the suppliers have a, a long uh, data set of, of uh, the uh, behavior uh, of, the, of the OEM and that they, um, 
you know that they that they, we built up the kind of trust that that will uh, help us weather those difficulties. And, and a third party uh, planning perspectives, which looks at supplier OEM relationships uh, for the last 16 years, you guys have been number two consistently. Two years, you were number one. Um, so obviously, this is it's working real. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's really the ultimate compliment to our buyers uh, to be recognized as a trusted partner. And, and for Honda to be recognized as a preferred customer. Um, and, and really, it's, it's not just a purchasing thing. Uh, it, it, it's uh, really a recognition for everyone at Honda that interacts with the supply base in any, any manner at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said earlier, it, it, it's not just the right thing to do. There really is a business case uh, behind having strong uh, relationships with any any business partners, including suppliers, and uh, you know we, we have uh, many stories of suppliers going the extra mile for us based on those uh, relationships. And yet, that same survey showed that Honda had higher ratings in years past. What's changed? Is it the nature of the business? Maybe the nature of the survey? Why are you not rated as highly as you were before? Well, you know, the survey is one indication, um, and, it, and it's one that, that we value. Um, we, we are trying to uh, maintain the kind of relationships with our suppliers that they'll tell us uh, when things are tough. And, and so we, we rely on no, not only on external surveys, but also direct communication with the suppliers on what their challenges are and and how we can work through those things. So, you know, um, scores may go up, scores may go down. We stick with those core philosophies uh, that we think will um, create the kind of relationships that we'll need to meet the future challenges. Okay, so can you enumerate what some of those challenges are? You know, what would be on your top three list well, right now? Well, let's see. Uh, how many cars are we going to sell next year? Okay, we talked about that one, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, you know, just the proliferation of technology. Uh, not, not only um, are there some big uh, individual technical challenges, but the breadth of those challenges, you know, going into various uh, different, different areas. Um, you know, we are uh, embracing the challenge of meeting future CAFE uh, requirements. Uh, it, embracing it but it still is a challenge and and uh, not only for us but the supply base so those are some of the big ones gotcha thanks you know as we look at the market um honda's doing something that other manufacturers are not doing which is selling cars okay accord and civic so far this year have been doing phenomenally well but at the same time as you mentioned earlier i mean you have trucks you have the pilot you have the ridge line you have the crv does it surprise you as a purchasing guy that cars are doing as well as they're doing at Honda? Well, um, I, I recognize that I'm a poor judge of where the market is going personally, so uh, I, I've given up my, um, my role in trying to predict the future, but you know, our, our focus has really been on um, steady measured growth that's sustainable. And because we have a wide breadth of product, you know, from, as you mentioned, from the light truck uh, area to, to the small car area, um, you know, we think we have the product uh, that is necessary wherever the market goes. And combined with the flexibility both in our factories and the supply chain, we think we're ready to react to wherever the market demand goes. Mm-hmm. 
Tom, do you have any examples of where the relationship that you've built with your suppliers has enabled you to maybe access the best technology that a supplier has? For instance, uh, they came to Honda instead of to somebody else, or uh, that kind of example of how this has manifested itself? Yeah, I mean, if you have a new innovation uh, and, and you're going to bring it to a car company, especially if you're going to bring it to a certain company first. You have to be able to trust that they're going to treat that innovation appropriately, and that you're which going. Which means what? Not giving it away to. Which means it which means respecting your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. uh, which means also. Um, making good use of your time, that you're going to get the right audience, you're going to get the right consideration, and that ultimately uh, you're going to have a good opportunity to collaborate with that car company to make that innovation a reality. Because in innovation is one thing, getting it into a vehicle and mass producing it is another. So it really requires um, a good partnership to make some of these new innovations a reality in mass production. Any technologies you can point to? Um. Mm, I can't think of a good one off my off the top of my head. Um, can I can I answer the question you didn't ask? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I you know since I'm a purchasing guy and, and our primary role is to support our manufacturing plants, um, I, I had a story one time where based on a single phone call. This, this was after um, the earthquake tsunami uh, oh, yeah. that, that took place in Japan. Um, based on a single phone call, one of our suppliers hand carried a container of, of uh, components, tier two or tier three parts, to one of their competitors to support our production based, based on one phone call. Hmm. And you know, it's, a, it's again, it, it, it's supporting the the premise that, you know, with the right kind of strong relationships between buyer and seller, people will, you know, move mountains in order to support us. In that case, it was to maintain our production. When you mentioned electrification, and that's a big topic at the conference here too, battery costs are still very expensive. But that's a, a sort of a preface of saying, how strategic is purchasing in looking ahead five years, not, not to what you got to build on the assembly lines today or tomorrow, but five years out. How do you start laying the groundwork for learning what technology is out there and who you should buy it from? Well, you know, as you know, John, purchasing has to be at the forefront of a lot of different uh, technology innovations. So it is very helpful uh, if a buyer has some technical aptitude and some expertise uh, within that subset of the market. At the same time, we rely a lot on buying teams. So it's it, it's the purchasing individual along with an engineer and in some cases a manufacturing expert. Um, you know, going out into these different areas of the industry and really understanding, uh, to your point, not only what's happening today, but what what's coming down the road, so that we can make sure we're ahead of that curve. Well, to, to that end, you were saying you use some non-traditional suppliers, non-automotive types. What happens when your team shows up at the door of one of these places? Do they say, "Oh, it's Honda, that's okay," or do they go, "Oh, it's a car company, we're we're not interested <laughs> in that stuff"? Well, you know, initial reaction aside, um, you know, we we think that uh, 
our approach to, to working with non-traditional suppliers will be no different than, than um, within the automotive space. It may take a little bit of time to develop those relationships, but we think if we're consistent and trustworthy, uh, you know, that over time we'll, we'll have the same relationships with those companies that we enjoy uh, with our great automotive suppliers today. Mm -hmm. There's been some uh, talk of, from a material standpoint too, uh, worrying about things where certain materials might not be available. I'm thinking especially of rare earth metals in China where they shut the door on Japan there for a while a few years ago. How much of uh, your planning goes into that or does that not matter being uh, the head of purchasing for Honda North America? Uh, it absolutely matters. Um, we, we are um we, we buy a lot of uh, our own materials or we contract the purchase of a lot of our materials, even those uh, used by the supply base. And uh, of course, um, you know, volume is one of a buyer's uh, greatest friends. But at the same time, uh, it's, it's not just about um, uh, getting, making the best purchase, it's also about securing the volumes, as you mentioned. So, someone becomes a supplier for Honda and you want to have a good relationship with them. What is it that is incumbent upon the supplier to do in order to continue to be a supplier to Honda? And Tom, we're getting down to the end. We don't need a super quick answer, but a fairly quick okay. one. Um, so I think it starts with partnering with the right companies. Uh, and by right companies, I mean like-minded, similar philosophies, team-oriented, focused on continuous improvement. and. If we create a partnership between like-minded companies like that, uh, a lot of things will take care of themselves. We'll both be focused on the end customer, we'll, uh, uh, exceeding their expectations, and uh, and we're going to collaborate and we're going to work together to get there. Very good. Thanks for the quick answer on that one. <laughs> Tom Lake, thanks so much for stopping by and talking with us here at the Management Briefing Seminar. No, thank you. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Gary Vassilash, Joanne Muller, great having the both of you on board here, too. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in here. As I said, we're at the Management Briefing Seminars organized by the Center for Automotive Research and signing off here for AutoLine this week.